0: And reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a
1: dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the
0: couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to
1: learn more about the many perks of being a book lover.
0: It's back-to-school time around the country, and whether your kids are going back to a physical classroom or are doing NTI, otherwise known as non-traditional instruction, it's an exciting time of newness, both for students and teachers. Whether it's the first day of school jitters or teachers having to figure out how to make learning via computer mimic the discussion and projects that would normally happen in an actual classroom, this school year in the age of COVID has an extra layer of uncertainty. Our guest this week, Tamika, has been a middle school English language arts teacher in Kentucky's largest school district for sixteen years. She's also a vibrant bookstagrammer at her handle, The Reading Room 444. Her goal is to make reading come alive to anyone who watches her feed. This summer, she not only posted videos of her teaching tactics while reading Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamped from the Beginning, but she also used her creativity to reimagine book covers. Tamika is a voracious reader who is eager to share her love of literature and inspire excitement about finding books that you are passionate about. Tamika talked to us about what the term decolonizing the classroom means, how she handles being a polyreader and juggling six books at a time, and how she wants to use books as a way to help her students become our future leaders.
1: Amy and I are recording in mid-August. It's getting close to the beginning of school. And our guest today is Tamika. She is a 16-year English language arts teacher and also an Instagrammer and also a super reader. So Tamika, thank you so much for being with
0: us today.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited.
0: So Tamika and I have met before. She's a bookstagrammer extraordinaire. I'm a little bookstagrammer a little bit at the time. You have such a wonderful energy when it comes to books. And so I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an English language arts teacher.
2: Well, it all started when I was a kid. I used books as a means of escape to have a safe place for me to feel welcome, to feel loved. And that environment, I excelled in. Books became my life. And as a young kid, I just remember just devouring novels. And it just exceeded from there. And I couldn't let go of the passion. And whenever someone asked me, so what do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, I always fell back on my love of reading. So I know education and reading saved my life. And I wanted to present that to students, kids, my community, and hopefully be a catalyst to help save their lives as well through education. That's my journey.
1: Did you have favorite authors when you were a kid or, or books that you reread like over and over again? Tell us a little bit about what that looked like.
2: Yes. When I was little, I would read Nancy Drew. I would read The Babysitter's Club. That set it all for me. When I picked up a Babysitter's Club book, I felt like I was part of the characters and my heart just bloomed and I was so happy to be embedded in that novel. And those platforms there helped me to excel with reading. Now,
1: I have not been a full-time English teacher in a number of years, but I know when I was, I spent a lot of time grading and and all that stuff. So what do you read now and do you find that you read for fun or is it mostly reading so you can teach?
2: Well, I do a mixture of both. I make sure that whatever I'm reading, I can utilize in the classroom. And because I'm a middle grade teacher, I try to pull in as many middle grade novels as I can so I can put it in the hands of my students. So one author I absolutely love for middle grade, Nick Stone, and I know with her work, whenever my students say, oh, I'm finished, I don't have anything to read, may I go to the library, I always put a Nick Stone novel in their hands and they take off. One of the ones that really is a prominent fixture in the classroom is her novel, Dear Martin, they absolutely love it.
0: The students that you have, where are they in their reading journey? I mean, do you find that a lot of them decided reading wasn't so much fun anymore? Or what, what do you find with the students that you have?
2: It's a plethora of different readers in my classroom. And one of the things that I like to do is I meet my students where they are with their reading journey. And I try to have a classroom full of literature that mirror my students, that mirror who they are as people, individual, a part of this community. So I talk to them about the things that they like, and I talk to them about their interests, and I try to match a book with who they are, who they represent. And that usually does the job. So if it's graphic novels, They gear towards that. I have graphic novels. If it's a little bit more of a higher echelon of books, I have those novels for them to dive into. If it's just middle grades, I also have a lot of middle grades that they can get into as well.
0: That's great. I mean, I find with my kids it seemed like they loved reading in elementary school. And then sometimes when they got to middle school, it became not cool anymore. And so it sounds like you're doing a really good job of trying to find books that their own personal interests, but I think is great. You and I have never met
1: in person, but I follow you on Instagram. And so one of the things that I've seen you talk about on Instagram is decolonizing your classroom. Can you talk about what does that mean? What does that look like in an English middle grade classroom?
2: Yes, that's extremely important. Making sure that your novels, as I said before, mirror your students. I had an experience growing up When I read, the characters didn't necessarily look like me. They didn't eat the same foods, they didn't listen to the same music, they didn't have the same culture. So it was really hard for me to connect, if you will. However, I still enjoy the novels. There wasn't that deep centered connection and that awareness of yes, I matter in this world and I am acknowledged. So I make sure that my literature mirrors or looks like the characters in the novel, my students, also can connect with each other. So that's extremely important. And when you do that, you decolonize your classroom. You bring in a multitude of cultures, a multitude of ethnicities, a multitude of people who are represented in this country. And that extremely extremely important, so that our students, our future, can feel like they are acknowledged and matter in the world today.
1: So I wonder, and it could be that white parents think it, but would never say it to you, but do you ever get pushback from parents? You know, do they ever say things like, why are they reading so many Black authors? And how would you respond to that? Or how would you, I guess, encourage other people to respond if somebody were to say that?
2: You know, one of the things that I am honored to be able to do is work with parents, students, administration in my building that not only have a vision of everyone is acknowledged, everyone is part of our community, and everyone is diverse in our learning. And that makes it easier for me to access literature, to guide my students. For example, I teach To Kill a Mockingbird. And I teach that from the lens of social oppression, social hierarchy within the community, uh, social injustice. And when I do that, it gives a spectrum of how the world has operated and how we are growing and trying to change that. I see when I do that, a lot of parents are on board because they want that diversity. They want their students to be well-rounded individuals that will make an impact in this world. And that's the platform that I use whenever I teach. So it's not a matter of, oh, you're teaching all these black novels. The stance where I come from in educating my students, guiding them, is that this is a building block for us to be well-developed citizens to make a change in our community and our world for the better.
1: I teach at a small cottage school for families at home school. I teach To Kill a Mockingbird, too, but I try to pose the question like, we're getting all this backstory whose backstories aren't we getting and I think sometimes just posing questions like that to kids it's like oh yeah we're not hearing the background of all these other characters Tom Robinson you know we don't learn all about his family and what he has experienced so sometimes just having those discussions makes kids think in a way that they haven't ever been challenged to think before.
0: What are some books that you've seen the greatest reactions from your students? You mentioned the Nick Stone books, but are there other books that your students really, really enjoy?
2: Oh, absolutely. Jason Reynolds is an absolute genius. His novels are amazing. So if you haven't incorporated those in your classroom, please do so. One novel that my students like, A Long Way Down, of course, Sandra's sister. Listeners, the house on Mango Street, they absolutely love that. Edie's a boy, she did a remix of Pride and Prejudice, and that absolutely struck home for me as an individual, as an African American woman, Black America, who identifies as an Afro Latina because of Michael Tudor. That's another book that they absolutely love as well.
1: And, and what's that one? I haven't heard of that one.
2: Um, Ediths Avoid Pride. It is a remix of Pride and Prejudice. Hmm. It's a must-read. Okay.
1: This is what I do when we're recording. I'm like furiously <laughs> adding books to my list.
2: Yes. And if you check on my page, I did a cover remix or a cover redo and I did a summary or a review of the novel. So, oh, okay. you can pick it up there as well.
1: Okay, cool. So you mentioned Jason Reynolds and his collaborative book with Ibram Kendi. I've been watching you as you've been doing this, but you've been doing some really cool, I guess, Instagram lessons with the two books. So Ibram Kendi Stamp from the Beginning, and then there's the Collaborative book that's specifically geared for middle school students. So talk to us about what you've been doing with those two books.
2: We did a book study of both novels. And because I'm an educator, these novels are extremely important. And teachers across the country gather together to do an in-depth study on these novels and how we can utilize these and or incorporate, especially Jason's version, stamps, into our classrooms to help our community. And on my page, I want to showcase How one should actively read and annotate text so I utilize Jason's novel because of course I'm a middle school teacher and these are some of the active reading strategies that I utilize in my classroom for the book study or the book read we would give lessons on how to read how to annotate utilizing a color coding system to make those text connections in order to internalize the material educate ourselves and be able to educate our community because we are open, willing to dive into a very sensitive, I'm going to say, topic that we are facing today. So with annotating, with showcasing active reading strategies and how to chunk and break down the text so you can better internalize it, those are some of the videos that I have up on my page.
1: So I read the Ibram Kendi, Jason Reynolds collaborative book. You know, since you did both, can you give a review or compare, contrast for us? Since I only read the one geared towards like middle school readers, what would you say are the big differences between the two books?
2: Uh, Well, Jason does an immaculate read of Stamped and how he breaks it down so that it can connect to a middle grade student. And he has a lot of colorful language in there where kids use today, where kids can understand what he's talking about. And Dr. Kendi's version is a little bit more on an academic lens, if you will, and it's geared more toward adults. Dr. Kendi breaks it down with a more articulate fashion than, as opposed to Jason, where it's in the voice of a middle grade student. So that's the big difference between both. Now, they're both good reads. I I definitely, absolutely recommend one read both. If you want your student or if you want your child to read, I would definitely put Jason's version in their hands first.
1: What I liked most about Stamped was you would get Jason Reynolds' editorial comments like, What? Or, you know, can you believe this? Like, what is this mess? Which is perfect for a middle schooler because they're probably thinking the exact same thing.
2: Yes. I love how he actually incorporates you, the reader, in the text. It's as if you were there talking to him about this particular topic. And it's so geared toward middle grades because it like I said it gives them a voice it represents their voice and i highly recommend to get that in the hands of your kids
1: are there some strategies that students seem to gravitate more towards than others
2: yes we use a reciprocal reading strategy and what that is we all have students taking ownership of their education they are leading the book discussion it's sort of like a Socratic seminar, if you will, and they will break down the novel. So we'll have maybe a group of four, and they will have particular roles that they need to utilize in order to analyze, evaluate, and articulate what they are reading in the text. And so using that reciprocal reading strategy, everyone takes ownership. Everyone has a part in reading the novel. It creates a wealthy discussion that students can bring back to not only the classroom, but their parents, their peers, different members of the community in order to raise awareness to the particular topics that they are reading.
1: So when they do that reciprocal reading, because I, I know for myself, I think this is just what happens when you have to know material well enough to be able to teach it to other people. It's not only the act of studying it really well or learning it, but it's the act of teaching it that reinforces it in your own brain. So is that kind yes. of what they're doing?
2: Absolutely. They are the teachers of the classroom, the material it's in their hands, and they have to communicate, articulate, evaluate with each other because, yes, although I am their guide, they learn better from each other. So when they do that, they take ownership of that education.
0: We're recording this in mid-August, and school's going to be starting soon in a lot of places here in Kentucky and, and around the country. What do you anticipate your classes are going to look like since In in your school district, they're going to be starting all online.
2: We have an opportunity to reach our students in an area that they're very well versed and advanced in. And this is an experience that I am so happy to welcome because I can have a platform of my students learning through technology, and just what we would do in the classroom, we're just going to tailor it to online learning. We can still have book discussions. We can still have breakout sessions. We can still have meetings where we group a lot of kids together to talk about a particular novel. So I am so excited that we get to what we call NTI or online learning, because not only are we keeping our children healthy and safe, we're still diving in education and taking the reins and pushing our future leaders to greatness
1: parents, a lot of times it's like they remember how school was when they were kids. But unless you're in a school regularly when your own kids are there, you may not understand just how often their kids are using technology in the school building. I know with my fifth grader, they're constantly using their Chromebooks to look up stuff and to play Kahoot and, you know, to do all this stuff. So I think sometimes it's like parents envision something that isn't exactly accurate. You know, they're thinking about what school was like when they were kids, and that's not really what school is like now.
2: Exactly. We utilize technology in our classroom. It's like our right hand. So we do use Kahoot. We have our Chromebooks. We have lessons that we produce online so students can have access to that. I I'm 46, so I come from a generation that we didn't have this. You know, we just had that textbook, and that's not how our students are learning today. So I'm so excited that we can access an area where our students are more comfortable with learning and they can grow.
0: That's one of the things I will say about this pandemic. Nobody wished for this pandemic. And it had a lot of downsides to it. But one thing that I think is an upside is that it's forced everybody in education, in business, you know, all kinds of areas of our lives to be more creative in how we deal with things. And sometimes that creativity produces something that you think, well, you know, we'll just keep doing it like that because it really worked out pretty well. I think all of these creative ways that teachers are thinking about how to keep kids enthusiastic about their learning is great
1: on Instagram and we need to make sure that we mention your Instagram handle it's the reading room 444 it looks like at least from my perspective it looks like you've been having an awful lot of fun this summer because <laughs> one of the things you've been doing in addition to what you've done with stamped and stamped from the beginning is you have been, recreating or reimagining book covers. And so some of the ones that I've seen you do, Emma DeBerry's Twisted, The Tangled History of Black Hair Culture, Ida, A Sword Among Lions by Paula J. Giddens, and Tomi Adeyemi's Children of Blood and Bone. So tell us about how those recreations started and whether you ever have students do that, because I thought that was such a cool thing.
2: Absolutely. One of the things that I had to do during this pandemic is realign my creativity. Books are my life. With that said, when I do my book reviews, I like to kind of review the novel based on how I felt while I was reading. And those reimagined or redone or redo book covers are kind of like symbolic images of how I felt while I read the book. It helps me to showcase my creativity, my love of art. It helps me to showcase my love of reading the novel. And one of the things that I most want to do on my page is make sure that it is a space that is welcoming, that is loving, that is full of light, that you can get on there, maybe have a laugh or two, smile, or just be connected. And that's one of the things that I try to house within my Bookstagram account. And when I do those re-imaging of the covers, it's just an outlet of my creativity, my space, my ode to books and to authors, if you will, for creating such a warm, loving environment where I could just dive in and just get lost and be safe.
1: Do you ever have students do something similar or do you ever have them redesign book covers as part of your
2: instruction? We have projects and, and one of the things that I allow them is to choose what they want to master as far as standards are concerned based on the novel that we've read. And that's one of the outlets that I have them. They can write a poem. They can write a song. They can redo the book cover. They can do a collage to symbolically represent the novel. They can do a collage to symbolically represent how they felt with the novel. So that is absolutely a creative outlet that I utilize with my students.
0: So you've got sort of an insane reading schedule for yourself. Tell us about how many books you typically have going on at once and how do you schedule them and how do you keep from getting them confused? So I am a
2: poly reader. I absolutely love, love, love to multitask with my novels. I still like that nosy neighbor that you have when you're reading a novel. And then I could get in there and see what's going on in the lives of the different characters. So I like to read different books at the same time. And my highest book count that I've read at the same time is six. I know. (laughs) I know. I've tried seven, but I couldn't do seven. So yeah, it just makes me feel like I have six different friends that I'm talking to about six different subjects. So it's not hard for me to keep up
0: with at all. Are they all different genres? I mean, like, is one poetry and one's maybe nonfiction and one is fiction? Are they all fiction books? Uh, most of them
2: are fiction, but I will incorporate like a nonfiction. I might incorporate um, fantasy, sci-fi, women's lit. I might incorporate drama, urban fiction. There are different genres and different subgenres as well.
1: Do you actually keep a schedule or do you have like goals that you try to, you know, read a certain number of pages? Talk to us a little bit about the structure that you make for yourself.
2: So I, I have a reading schedule, and each month I will sit down and gather my hopefuls or my TBR, and I break down the number of pages I should be reading a day. So say, for instance, I try to kind of read one book in three days. So I would break down the number of pages divided by the days I want to have this book read by. And so I do that with all the books that I'm reading. So I know, for example, right now I'm reading Jim Butcher's Small Favor. I love the Harry Dresden series. So that's one of the books I want to finish this month. And I'm going to start The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins read today. And so what I'll do is I know that I have to read so many pages in Butcher's novel, then I need to move over to read so many pages in Reed's novel and so forth. So that's how I keep myself on track. I definitely have a reading schedule that I use to make sure that I'm reading the accurate amount of pages to finish the book on time
0: with all the reading that you're doing, do you have a special spot or routine that you like to read in? Like I find I get my best reading done in a particular chair in a particular room of my house. And if I'm other places, I'm just not as productive with it. Are you the same way?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because my handle For IG, the reading room 444 is actually developed from my actual reading room in my house. I have a particular room, yes, dedicated only to books, only to reading, and this is my space that I use, so I go there to read.
0: What does the 444 stand for in your reading room, 444?
2: Oh, my gosh. So this is a a story that some people may not believe. So my grandmother, she raised me um, as a kid. And one of the things that I just hold tribute to her, she was just very loving. And we had a very, very close relationship. And my grandmother and I connected on a, a level that I haven't had that connection with anybody in my life. And she passed away when my now 17-year-old was two. Hmm. So my grandmother often come to me in my dreams and we hold a conversation, believe it or not. And one of the things that she said to me, she had mentioned the number 444 in a dream. So I wanted to give that tribute to her. And that's Hmm. where the 444 came from.
0: Wow.
1: Okay, Well, so this relates to your teaching because you have a schedule and I imagine for some students that might be beneficial to have some type of schedule and especially middle schoolers just seem to be, you know, I guess it's their hormones. They're sort of all over the map. So do you incorporate those schedules and things into your teaching?
2: What I do, I like to call myself a guide for my kids. So when school starts, we develop what we call a reading writing journal. And in that journal, I give them access to annotation guides. So, you know, I have an annotation guide that I've developed. We use that in the classroom. And I let them know, please tear this to you. This is for you. This is just a platform or guide or an example for you to go by. Then I show them how to do a reading schedule. I created a graphic organizer for them to put in their reader writer's notebook to break down novels. So whenever we start a class literature or group read, I have that reading schedule broken down for them. I put that on my board. So they'll know on particular days we need to read these many pages. And they can go to their reader writer's notebook to see how to break down pages or to utilize that graphic organizer as well. And because we are online learning this year, I do have those graphic organizers in my Google Classroom for them to use for their need.
0: So I know last year you had a book club at your middle school that you have in charge of. And I'm wondering if you've thought anything about this year and if you're going to continue that and can you continue it online?
2: Yes, so as you know, teachers, we have already started back and we are gearing up to make sure that our online classes are well-developed for our students to get the best out of our educational experience through online learning. So one of the things that I will offer is an online book club for our students to read novels together, to talk about it, use Google Classroom, to have discussions and so forth. So absolutely, we are definitely having our online book club. And that's in addition, so that's sort of extra Yes. If students choose to join the book club, it would be in addition to and or extra, if you will, to the normal curriculum that we are doing. It has been
1: 16 years since I was in the classroom full time. So a lot changes in 16 years. But because I know it seemed like for a while there was a shift more from novels to they wanted kids to do more nonfiction reading or at least that was my impression. Is that still the case? And what does your year look like in terms of, like, literature that you're teaching versus nonfiction?
2: Well, one of the things that I like to do whenever I have a fiction novel, I also pull sources that are nonfiction sources, and I utilize that. So, for example, when we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird, I did a novel study of that, and we also utilized Children of Blood and Bone to do a comparison of themes. And I also incorporated an article about the Scottsboro Boys. Mm-hmm. So I definitely incorporate nonfiction and in different articles or snippet of articles that kind of house the same themes that I want my students to be able to articulate based on the read that we're doing.
0: So my last question would be, sounds like you get to know your students very well. Are you concerned that it's going to be harder to do that during NTI where you don't get to see them in person, like getting to know what kind of books that might fit them best and and that kind of thing? Do you have any things that you're concerned about with starting school online?
2: No, because, well, I'm lucky, I feel, because last year I taught seventh grade. And so this year now I'm back in eighth, which I love eighth grade because I feel like I can prepare my future leaders for high school. So some of the students that I had in seventh grade, I get to have again in eighth grade. So I've already built those relationships with them. So we could just continue our relationship. So I'm excited about that. But to answer your question, some of the things that we do, I know especially with the educators and the teachers at my school, we are very, very adamant about building relationships with our kids. And we do different things like maybe we'll do a video um, showcasing who we are as educators or teachers or some of the things that we love. And then those first six weeks, we have those get to know you or building our community, if you will. And those are the lessons that we incorporate into our content to help us to make those connections with our students and to help us to showcase that yes, we see you, you have a voice and we are advocates for you. So absolutely, I think even though we are doing our online learning, there are many different ways that you can showcase a connection with your kids.
1: All right, well, we're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're gonna be all talking about what we're reading.
0: We are back with Tamika and with Carrie. And Carrie, what are you reading?
1: I know I've talked about that before bed, you know, my boys, we read books. I'm not sure why, but at some point we invited my daughter, who's 16, in the summer for the reading before bed. The book we started is The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. So that is the first book in a trilogy, and it's called His Dark Materials Trilogy. We read that, and now we're on the second book, which is called The Subtle Knife. A lot of people have probably heard of The Golden Compass because a number of years ago, there was a movie, and I think it had Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, And so that was a film version. The story in that first book begins, and there's a girl named Lyra Balacqua. She gets involved in this situation where there's a religious organization that has been doing experiments on children to try to separate them from their souls. So for, for us humans, our souls are inside our essence. We can't see them. But in Lyra Balakwa's world, your demon, it's represented as an animal and it's outside your body. And when a child becomes an adult, their demon takes one form. But when they're a child, their demon can flit in, from different forms. So your demon, one moment might be a sparrow and the next moment it's a cat and the next moment it's a pig and the next moment it's an ocelot.
0: So it's not demon spelled D-E-M-O-N. Right? Right. It's D-A-E-M-O-N.
1: Demon. But that's essentially what it is, is your soul. And so she goes on sort of this gigantic adventure because children have been disappearing. And the reason they have been disappearing is that this religious organization is trying to figure out if children can be separated from their demons. So there's an aeronaut who has a big hot air balloon. His name is Lee Scoresby. And there's a polar bear king who Lyra comes in contact with. So it's this great, fantastical story about Lyra and trying to find out what's going on with these children. So then you go into book two and in book two, Lyra meets a boy named Will Perry and What happens in the second book is that they discover that you can go from Lyra's world into Will's world, and they can both go into this other world. So they find these, they're sort of like windows or doorways into these other worlds. There is a commonality between Lyra and Will, and they have this bond and they start working together and they're still trying to figure out what's going on. You know, why is this religious organization, what's their goal? What are they trying to do? It's a a very complicated story because, oh, I forgot the witches. All these tribes of witches who get involved and are trying to help Lyra. And in this world that it's not Lyra's world and it's not Will's world. It's this other world that they can enter. There's also what's called specters. And only adults can see specters. And the specters come and they basically, you know, like in the Harry Potter books, the dementors who come down and suck all the joy out of your body. Well, that's kind of what these specters do. So we're reading these. We're going to read the third book. My son, my middle one, the 12-year-old who's very hard to please, but he had seen the Golden Compass movie a number of years ago. So when we were reading the Golden Compass, he was kind of like, ah, eh, you know, been there, done that. Well, The Subtle Knife, he is all about what's going on in The Subtle Knife. And every night he's begging me to read as much as I can so that he can find out what's going on. So I think it's on HBO plus we have started watching the series his dark materials so i've only gotten maybe four episodes in but i believe it will tell the full story so the the movie from a number of years ago the golden compass only told that book story but his dark materials is i believe going to tell all the way through
0: well i've seen the have you series seen it? It's going to be a multi-series type of thing. So in the okay. first series, it goes through the first book and maybe a little bit of the second book. Now, I have not read the second and third books, okay. but the Will character is in this and he's not in the first book, if I remember right. that's correctly. Correct. But I will book. say Lin-Manuel Miranda plays the Aeronaut, so yes. that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and James McAvoy, who is Professor Xavier from x-men he's lord asriel in this yeah so so it's good stuff and like i said it's all of us, my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 16-year-old listening to this before bed every night.
0: This is kind of an old book because I remember reading it in the very first book club I was ever in before I had kids, which oh, probably was 24 years ago. And I think the book had maybe been out a year or so yeah. you know, when we read it. And it was very controversial. Maybe it still is. I don't know. But it was a very controversial book at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can definitely see that the author is saying something about super powerful religious organizations and what their deal is. But I just think if your kid has any interest whatsoever, if you have any interest in witches, polar bears, specters, knives that can cut through from world to world, if that's your jam, then I I recommend this series. Tamika, what have you had going on? What six books? Are you going to talk to us about all six
2: books you've been reading? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so right now, I am toggling between six books. I'm doing a couple of buddy reads, and I do belong to two book clubs. So one of the buddy reads that I'm doing, we are reading The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Of course, you know, I'm doing Jim Butcher, Small Favor, I Love Harry Dresden. Another buddy read that I'm actually starting today I'll be reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. My other book club, we are reading Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. So I will be reading that one, and that's by Jane Allen. Oprah is doing a buddy read, if you will, for Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. So I'll be doing that. And I'm actually rereading Stamps. I am so proud to say that my school building, we are going to do a group read of stamps so that we could become better educators and reach all students. So we'll be doing Dr. Kendi's version as well.
1: So I'm curious, I've only read the fifth season. So what, what do you think so far about The City We Became?
2: It is beautifully written. It engulfs you with the characters in a positive way as far as representing Brooklyn. It's like an ode to New York. Okay, I don't want to give it away. I was going to go into a big spiel. I don't like giving away books. Get the book. It is amazing. to Dive right into the world Jemison has built. She is immaculate with world building, and she makes you feel like you are home. This is the type of novel that you want to read and you want to have in your hand.
0: Now, this is her newest one. Is that correct?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: I'm not sure that I know. What's sort of the basic premise of it?
2: Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to give it away because I like for people to like be intrigued and pick it up and read it. I think it's just a symbolic representation of certain things that we experience culturally, as BIPOC or black indigenous people of color, how the world has a, a different stance or a different outlook on certain things. And it just takes you in and explains that in a metaphorical sense. But she uses this world building fantasy slash sci fi to actually talk about those things that we face in our reality today.
0: I have not read any NK Jemison and I really need to fix that but yeah, generally her. science fiction has not been my jam but I've read a few yeah. lately I'm warming up to it a little bit so I'll have to have to add it. I
2: definitely her and Octavia Butler mm, I have
0: true. read Octavia Butler I have read her yeah. so I'm not a, a complete Luddite about it but <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Amy what have you had going on over there
0: So I just finished what is probably one of the hottest books of the summer, and you see it all over social media. And I admit I often don't like to read its books, it in quotation marks, when they first come out because sometimes the hype ruins it for me. And when it doesn't live up to the hype, it's a huge downer. So I often like to let the dust settle and see if people are still as enthusiastic about it six months to a year later as they were initially. So the book is called The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. But Sam Miller, who's our bookseller guru, a friend of the show and from Carmichael's books, and she highly recommended it to me. So I dove in. And in my opinion, this book totally lives up to the hype. Britt Bennett is a Black author, and this is her second novel. And the premise of this story is that there are twin sisters who grow up in the 1950s in a town in Louisiana called Mallard. And the town's so small, it's not even on the map. And it's predominantly made up of light-skinned Black people, and that's the way the town likes it. And when the twin's mother tells them at 16 that they've had enough schooling, they need to drop out of school and need to go work as cleaning staff at a white family's home to earn money for the family. The twins, Stella and Desiree, they take off for New Orleans. Stella, she wants to go to college and Desiree has just always dreamed of leaving this super small town that she grew up in. And so when they get to New Orleans, they work at odd jobs until Stella is able to land a great job as a receptionist. But in order to do so, she has to pass herself off as white. And then one day, she just disappears without any warning, and she leaves a note for her twin sister that says something to the effect of, we just need to go our separate ways. And so, obviously, Desiree, the other twin, is distraught. They're identical twins. And so, it's sort of like she's losing a part of herself. But Desiree, she moves to Washington, D.C. She gets a job at the Federal Bureau of Investigation reading... Fingerprints. She marries a dark-skinned black man, has a daughter named Jude, who also has dark skin. In fact, Bennett describes her as being almost blue-black. And when her husband beats her, she runs off with Jude back to Mallard, Louisiana to her mother. But because Mallard is filled with light-skinned Black people, Jude sticks out in town because of her dark skin. And all the light-skinned kids at school tease her. They won't make friends with her. And her childhood in Mallard is a miserable one socially. But when Jude grows up, she goes to college at UCLA, and she is working as a waitress for a catering company. And she's working at a fancy cocktail party, and she thinks she spots her Aunt Stella. And she becomes fixated on it and she kind of stalks for a while trying to figure out if this really who this is. So, I, I don't want to tell you anymore. I don't want to give any of it away, but I would say that this book is a wonderful mix of a page turner with a commentary on racial relationships. So, the story is well told and it sucks you right in. And in fact, a couple days ago, where I really could not get anything done in my house because I just wanted to sit and read this book all day long. But it also gives you all kinds of issues to think about and the obvious issues of race, how one sister lives in the world as white and one as black, and the analysis of the Quality of their lives. So it was interesting on a sociological level, the bias that the light skinned blacks had against dark skinned blacks in the book. It's almost like all groups need to have someone to look down upon no matter their place in society, which made me wonder is that human nature or is that something that people in power encourage to cause separation between oppressed groups so that they aren't a united front? There's lots of things to think about. But there are also a lot of things to think about. Um, more domestically. So, the relationship between the twins and how the loss of one affects the other. Desiree never stopped looking for her sister. It was almost like, you know, you've heard of phantom limb syndrome. And that's the way I sort of thought about it. And there's also a transgender character in the book. So, we get that perspective as well, which I found. A pleasant surprise. So I would definitely recommend this book. It's a wonderful book on its own terms, but if you're trying to add more authors of color to your reading life, I think Brett Bennett should no doubt be on your list. The other thing that's encouraging me to do is that I had heard about another book by an author named Nella Larson called Passing. It was written in the 1920s. And Nella Larson was a member of the Harlem Renaissance movement, and she wrote a few novels, but this one, Passing, was the most well-known. And it's about two childhood friends, one light-skinned and one dark The light-skinned friend decides to pass as white in her own life. And so in some ways, the story seems similar to The Vanishing Half. And so I'm interested in reading Larson's book to see how her treatment of this subject from the lens of the 1920s is different or the same as Britt Bennett's creative perspective today. So in fact, I just picked up my copy of Passing at the library this morning, and I'm excited to read it. And in fact, Nella Larson's likeness has been put on a stamp. As part of a summer collection of stamps that the post office has called Harlem Renaissance. And I saw it in my post office just the other day, which I thought was pretty cool. So, Tamika, have you read that? I have not, and I'm putting that on
2: my list. (laughs) 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 I do have The Vanishing Half, and I plan to read that in September. I already have my list going for what I want to read.
0: But yeah, I I just thought it would be really cool to sort of read both of those just to see like they're different treatments of the same subject, really. A hundred years later.
1: All right. Well, between the two of you, I've got, I, I don't know. I think I've added six more books to my list. So all right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be asking Tamika her top five. We are back with Tamika, and we're going to be asking her her top five. So question number one, you love dancing and mention an interest in styles such as merengue and bachata. I hope I pronounced that right. How did this interest develop, and what is your top dancing style and why?
2: Well, I have friends that are from all over the world. You remember that is something that I'm very passionate about. And most of my friends speak Spanish. Most of my friends dance, bachata, merengue, and salsa. So that's one of the things that is a passion of mine. I've learned through them. And that's another creative outlet for me to showcase my mood, to make me happy, allowing the culture and the art. To transform me into, I feel like, a beautiful flower dancing in the wind.
0: So what form does it take? I mean, maybe right now during, you know, quarantine and the pandemic, you're just dancing around your kitchen. But, <laughs> but in normal times, <laughs> would you be doing it elsewhere?
2: Yeah, so you remember I said that my friends and I usually have these themed gatherings? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so one of the things that we do, we might have have a birthday celebration. We might have a country's independence celebration. We might just celebrate life, friendship, family, diversity. So when we do that, we do have those themed gatherings. And most of the times we are dancing, we are eating, just enjoying life and the gifts that life brings us.
1: Do you have a favorite type of dancing that you love more than, than any other?
2: Uh, I just recently, the bachata, just that right there is very, to me, it's romantic, it's central in a loving way.
0: I am familiar with merengue and the salsa because I took dance for many years. And now as a form of exercise, I love to do zumba or hip hop. And there's a lot of Latina dancing in that. And so I was familiar with those. I was not familiar with bachata. So how would you describe mm-hmm. that one? I
2: would say, to use the term, it's a slow dance. It's okay. a rhythmic slow dance with a particular technique and a style to it. So that's what I would liken it to
0: if I had to. So you also have an interest in drawing and painting. Besides doing your covers on Instagram, which is obviously a creative outlet, do you have a top medium that you like to work in?
2: I, I love to utilize oil paint. Oil paints, for me, I can handle it easier and able to express what I want. But that's just my go-to like all paintings or I just might sketch something and I usually I draw or paint a lot of images of women empowerment of having a voice of having a stance of having an outlook on life of having leadership qualities and skills so all painting is my my go-to. Did you take classes? Yeah I never took classes it's just something that I noticed that I liked as a kid as well, and just enhance my skills, just using that artistic expression to showcase me as a person.
1: We've mentioned that you have your Instagram account or Bookstagram. So how much time do you spend on getting book covers ready? You know, how much time do you spend on that? And what is your top tip for increasing the number of people who follow you?
2: Well, one of the things that I... You, I, I will take Sunday and make that my content day. So where I'm creating book covers, creating reviews, creating pictures to announce books that I'm reading or talk about the books that I'm reading. So Sunday is my content day. And when you are a bookstagrammer, it's extremely important to interact with people that are following you. I like to call them my reading tribe. And I feel that it is an honor that we can connect about books. I have developed so many wonderful relationships through Bookstagram. So it's imperative important that when you post and you have somebody who comments, respond. connects. Talk to them. This is their creative outlet as well. So don't just post something and think you're finished. No, gravitate towards this person. Create a relationship because you learn so many different things from so many different people.
0: Do you have a favorite Instagrammer that you you follow?
2: I have a group of friends that we call ourselves the collective. And it's about 14 or 15 of us. In this group, and each day, we have a space for our voice to talk about the things that we're going through as women, to talk about the books that we like to read, to talk about the different book tours that we're on, to talk about life. And before the pandemic happened, we were actually planning a retreat together together and like have a a bookstagram vacation but we weren't able to do that yes we weren't able to do that
0: so middle schoolers do not get a good rap (laughs) they can be (laughs) difficult emotional sometimes even stinky so as a middle school teacher what is the top thing that most people get wrong about middle school students
2: you know one of the things that I like to do with my kids I always love to take the perspective of growing and learning and a lot of people confuse that because middle school, that's our tap into what's really going on in the world and we need to uplift them. They are magnetic individuals who are creative, who have a passion about life and their voice should be heard no matter if it shakes and they speak, if it's loud, if they speak, if it's in between. So one of the things that I love to do for our middle school kids is make sure that they have that outlet, that look. I always call them my future leaders, because they are our future. And they need that space to grow and develop, no matter if they have a pitfall. I. Always say, you know, this is where the magic happens. This is magic in the middle. So middle school is an absolute amazing age and a time to, if you want to form something in a positive area, this is the outlet to do it. Middle school kids are just amazing.
1: I think it helped me. I mean, because I always liked middle school, you know, they say it's a sp- special kind of person who, you know, can be around middle schoolers all day and not go bananas. But I think at some point I took a psychology class and it talked about how the prefrontal cortex of the brain doesn't fully form until somebody is 24. And I think that that helped give me a a deeper appreciation of middle schoolers because, you know, sometimes they do stupid stuff, but sometimes it's because they legit, their brain isn't fully formed yet. So I think they're not necessarily trying to be a jerk. They're figuring things out. And I think most people, if they think about what they were like when they were in middle school, if you can stay in touch with your inner middle schooler, you'll have a greater appreciation for any middle schoolers that you actually know.
2: And that's, you know, one of the things that I tell my kids. Mistakes It's going to happen. But that's how you grow, learn, and develop into a well-rounded individual. Use those mistakes as learning tools and stepping stones. So you don't have to be perfect. You can just be who you are. And that's perfect enough, if you will, you know?
0: So question number five, I think Carrie was just putting her cat out. Yes, (laughs) she kept hollering. I'm sorry. (laughs) If you could do anything, regardless of money, credentials, or what have you, what is the top thing you'd do professionally if you could, and why would this be your choice?
2: I am sticking with teaching. I feel like I have the opportunity to help guide, shape this world into a beautiful light through people. So hands down, and although sometimes in some days it's rough, but it is well worth the experience that is my heart my love and my passion
1: that must make you feel good when you get asked that question and you'd still stick with what you're doing i would say that's a good day
0: well tamika so if people want to follow you on instagram tell us your handle again
2: i am the reading room 444
0: okay because her her feed is really interesting lots of good book reviews
1: Definitely. Always something interesting going on on your feed, for sure. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us about your Instagram and your teaching. And we wish you and your students the best this year as you all get ready to do
0: NTI.
2: Thank you so much. This has been
0: awesome. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.